Hello? Oh, there we go. Good morning, everybody. Um, so I received the uh, text uh, late in the week from Mitchell and said, you're on. Um, Mitchell's sick. He's got some bronchitis. He sends his love. And uh, yeah, he said, you're ready to go. Um, you're on this week. So here I am. And uh, thanks for allowing me to, to preach this morning. And uh, let me pray to God because without his spirit, I have nothing to say. I've got to count it a privilege to be able to even speak for you, and I, I'm not worthy, um, but uh, through the, the cross, through the bloodshed, uh, you say that we all are worthy. We are all righteous because of what you have done. We're righteous in Christ, and therefore we can all speak the truth. So Lord, I pray that you would empower me in this moment to speak your truth. Thank you that you are present with us, you are present with me, and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I got the text, it was late in the week, and it's, what do you do? I had a busy Friday and said, we got some things happening at our house, and I'm not going to start from scratch, and so I've been wanting to share some thoughts for quite a while anyway. Uh, years ago, I took a, a course when I was in seminary called Perspectives on the Christian World Movement, and it's all about missions, and uh, it's one of those courses where anyone that has taken the course, and you, anyone can take the course, they have it in the area several times um, throughout the year. It's a, it's a pretty lengthy course, it's a lot of work, but it was... Uh, well worth it. And it's one of those, those courses where it will change your life. Um, they don't just say that. It literally changes the course of the way you think about Scripture and missions and all that. And so I thought, you know, as next week, officially we start missions week or the missions festival, I'm going to start it a little bit early and kind of do a primer for missions because I love missions. And um, what I want to share this morning is really information and notes from the class that I took, um, perspectives, on the, um, perspectives on the world Christian movement, um, a lot of the, the writings and teachings from a guy named Bob Shogren, and uh, I just think it's, it's, it's incredible and, and I, I love it. And so as, uh, as I start out, I don't know if any of you, um, at the end of a school year, you would receive... Um, maybe your uh, yearbook, and as you would look through your yearbook, what is the number one thing you look for? I'm sorry? Your picture. So you don't care about anyone else. You, you, you have some people sign it, but where am I? Oh, there I am on the soccer team. Oh, that's right. That was kind of uh, where we got to dress up and clash week. Okay, I got a picture of me there. Where's my picture of the class, okay, and then my individual picture, and then nowadays we've got the index, so you go back, Campster, Roger, where else am I? And that's how we read our yearbook, but a lot of times, don't we read scripture a lot of, like we read our yearbook? We open up the scriptures and say, where am I in this? Where does God want to bless me? What does God have to say to me and uh, I, I even, you know, when I was graduating, I even got a little, it's not necessarily Bible, but it's, um, 
It was from my cousin from Boston, and uh, he sends me this Bible. It's promises to you from Scripture, which I know all the promises are true, but how many times do we just read the Bible for what is in it for me? Because I used to read the Bible as, you know, 66 different independent books, and I was challenged especially as I took this class, to read the Bible as one book, one story, and just like any book has an introduction, has a story, and has a conclusion, well, the Bible has an introduction, a story, and a conclusion. And so this morning, what I want to talk to you and maybe make an argument Do you agree with that, that the story can be seen as one story, introduction, story, and conclusion? And not stories of the Bible. We know Bible stories, David and Goliath. And and you've got like Daniel and the lion's den. And this is an overarching look at Scripture as one book, one story. And so the introduction is seen in Genesis chapter 1 through 11, the story of Scripture starts or begins with chapter 12 of Genesis and goes all the way through to Revelation, and the conclusion we see in Revelation 5 to the end of the book. And as we look at the beginning of the story of Scripture, you're all familiar with the introduction of the story of Scripture. God creates man and Man falls into to sin and God takes care of the sin. And as, as humans, we begin to grow and multiply. And as we begin to grow and multiply, every, every intention of man's heart is evil. We read in Genesis chapter 6 and chapter Seven. So God brings about judgment on the earth and that's when we see the story of Noah and his family and they build an ark, and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights because a holy God cannot put up with all of the sin in the world that has been brought into the world, so he has to do something. So he brings about judgment, and he gives Noah the the rainbow a promise that I will never do that again on the face of the earth. And so once again, as Noah and the family begin again in essence, and they begin to grow and multiply again, and when they begin to grow and multiply, we get to Genesis chapter 11, verse one. And Genesis chapter 11, verse one, is crucial when we want to understand the introduction of the story of the Bible. Here's what it reads. And the whole world, excuse me, I'm going to get a quick drink. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 says, The whole world had one language and a common speech. So it's important to realize and understand at this point in time, there is no us, them mentality. There's only us. There's just one group of people, one language, one nature, one, one language, one culture, 
if they were to have the Olympic Games at this point in time, the opening ceremony would be pretty short because it would be one team, one flag, and they would be over because there would be no other nations to compete against. There, it was just, there was only us, and so they'd maybe have some intramurals or something like that. But being the evil-natured people that we are, they, they began to try to gain equality with the only other them that there was. And the only other them that there was was God himself. So what do they do? They tried to reach equality with God. They begin to build this tower that would somehow reach up into the heavens. And here's what they said to each other. Genesis 11, three and four. Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Which is kind of a side note, they don't want to be scattered across the face of the earth, which is disobedience, because what did God say? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But beyond that, God looks down and he sees this tremendous pride welling up inside of these people. Listen to the terminology. Come let us make bricks. Let us build ourselves a city so that we can make a name for ourselves. The pride that is there. And we all know what pride does with our relationship with God. Pride breaks our relationship with God. So as God sees this pride welling up with Inside the people, he realized that something needs to be done and there needs to be some type of judgment. But he'd already given Noah the rainbow and a promise that he would never do that again. So God takes that one thing that's holding everyone together, their language, and he breaks it into many different languages. So now, instead of just one group of people in relationship to God, now you have this group and 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 this group. And on and on it goes. Approximately 70 different groups of people at that time, if you read it in Genesis chapter 10. Side note, you're thinking, Wait, Genesis 10, you just said Genesis 11. Yeah, and then kind of Hebrew writing when something was important, you would write about it twice. Creation, pretty important. You got Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 telling two accounts of the story of creation. Tower of Babel, pretty important story. So we have Genesis 10 where it kind of lists the, the different groups of people that were split up. And then Genesis 11, you've got the the next writing about it. So approximately seven dif 70 different groups of people, 70 different nations. So instead of an act of judgment, really it was an act of mercy by God. Mercy saying, I'm, 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 I'm going to split you up linguistically 
And so that later I can reach out to you with the, the gospel. And that really ends the introduction of the story of the Bible. That's the introduction, and now we get into the story of the Bible. So as we enter the, the story of the Bible, here's God up in heaven looking down at these 70 groups of people that call us, us, and them, them. And God could have spoken 70 different languages to reach out to all these different groups of people to reveal himself as God, that he wants a relationship with those people. But he chose not to do that. Instead, what God chose to do is to use mankind, use humans, to reach out to other humans. That's what God chose to do. So what does he do? He reaches down and he picks one man, Abraham. He picks Abraham, and Abraham didn't deserve this, but he picks one man and he says to Abraham, at that time, Abram, Abram, look, I want to bless you. In fact, I'm going to bless you so much that you aren't even going to believe the blessings I'm going to pour out upon you. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I'm going to pour out my mercy and my grace and my love on you. And the reason... I want to bless you, Abraham, not so that you can receive the blessings and just sit back in a nice comfy chair and say, "Woo, God, that is a lot of blessing. It's great to be blessed by the Lord. Praise the Lord, I've been blessed. No, that's, that's not incorrect, but that is incomplete of why God wants to bless Abraham. He wants you to turn around and be a blessing to those 70 groups of people that he has created on the face of the earth. I want to bless you to be a blessing. And and when we find that blessing, that promise, we call it the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses two and three say this. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now you you read these verses, and a lot of people have written about these verses. Commentaries, and devotionals, and different writers, and a lot of people divide it into different sections. You know, there's five different sections of this promise, or three or four. And, and I want to suggest to you that there is two different parts of this promise. Why two? Because that's what I was taught. I'm just kidding. No, no, that's what I was taught, but with good merit. Throughout the scriptures, there are approximately 400 different paraphrases or abridgments of this promise. And every time you see a a paraphrase or an abridgment of this promise, there are two different parts to that promise. What are the two parts? Well, Don Richardson came up with a terminology, and he calls it the two parts Top line 
and bottom line. We have top line blessings and bottom line responsibilities. He says there's top line blessing. God wants to bless us. God is a God who wants to bless. It's who he is. It's his character. How does he bless us? A lot of ways. Time, gifts, energy, money, careers, education, bank accounts, homes, cars. And these are just the secondary blessings. The primary way that God wants to bless us is a relationship with himself, which is the ultimate blessing, that we can have a relationship with the living God. Top line blessing, but those blessings, that blessing is not solely just for us. We don't go around and say, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me, and and just hold on to it ourselves. No, God sees through us to other people. God sees who, who, who he wants you to bless this week, next week, five years from now. He, he, he's blessed us, but there's a bottom line responsibility. The, re, the responsibility that we have to turn around and be a blessing. And where do those blessings go? He was pretty specific on where those blessings are to go. He said, all peoples. Which is a pretty interesting word, peoples. Because it's like, is, is that a grammatical um, error on that? Because people is already plural, right? But you add a S to the end of peoples, what is that all about? And it could be translated in a lot of different ways. You know, you could, it could be tongues, tribes, ethnic groups, families. A lot of time we hear nations. The problem is when we only hear the word nations, I think we miss the point of what God is really zoning in on. For example, Pakistan, as we know it, is one nation. But as God sees Pakistan, he sees several different nations or people groups, our people that call us us and them them. You got the Beal, Sindhi, Baluth, Punjabi, and on and on it goes. We just in one nation of Pakistan, there's several different peoples or people groups. Um, groups of people that call us, us, and them, them. So if the, the gospel were to break out among the, the Beal people group in Pakistan, where do you think the gospel is going to stay? It's, it's most likely going to stay within the Beal people group of Pakistan. Why? Well, because the other people are, are thems, and, and I, only, I don't know that many thems, and I only know us's. And so God knows that there is a tendency for us as humans to have the gospel stay within our own people groups, the us's, because it's a lot easier for us. But then he says, not just peoples, but all peoples. All peoples on earth shall 
be blessed. Which means, really, when you look at Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, this really is the Great Commission, is it not? And we know that Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, but it Did Jesus understand that the Great Commission, God's heart for all nations, really started, I mean, from the beginning of time, but scripturally in this promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? God has always had a heart to go and make disciples and believers of all nations, beginning as we see this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. So this overarching big picture of God wants to use people. He wants to use you and he wants to use me to reach the nations. Do you believe that? He wants to use us because God could do it on his own. But he chooses to and wants to use us to reach the nations. Now it's also interesting, this Abrahamic covenant, this promise to Abraham is repeated five different times. I mean, I mentioned before where there's 400 uh, paraphrase or abridgments of it, but the actual promise is repeated five different times. Three times to Abraham, once to Isaac, and once to Jacob. I mean, do you think God forgot? Hey, Abraham, I can't remember if I told you this or not. Now, I doubt that is the case. As we said before, Hebrew writers, when something was significant or important, they would repeat something out of emphasis, sometimes saying it three times for importance, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty from Isaiah 6. And here's, he's, he's using repetition to probably make a point, and what is he communicating? This isn't just important, this is very important. Do not miss this. This is key to my heart and what I'm trying to accomplish here on earth. The third time God gave Abraham this promise, We see it in Genesis chapter 22. This is the third time God gives this promise to to Abraham. The context is Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And the angel comes and stops him from sacrificing his son. And here's what it says in Genesis chapter 22, 15 through 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Top line, blessing. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Top line, blessing. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Top line blessing. Most of the time when we see the top line blessing of a promise of God, many times keep reading, there's usually some type of responsibility 
and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Bottom line responsibility. There's two parts. There's a top line and a bottom line. There's a promise a blessing and a responsibility. It's interesting here, God says uh, uh, a pretty interesting thing. He says, I swear by myself. I don't know if you've ever sworn by yourself or by your own name. I swear by the name of Roger that, I mean, it sounds silly, and, and it has no merit in, in swearing by your own name, but what? What's the deal? Why, why swear by your name? Well, back in these times, it, it, in essence, it's like signing your name on the dotted line. There wasn't a lot of pen or paper available. So a lot of times they would swear by something or someone that was greater than yourself. So you'd swear by the altar, or you'd swear by heaven, or you would swear by God. But we have a problem here because here God is making this covenant, this promise, and he can't swear by something greater than him because he is the greatest. So what does he do? He says, the only thing he could do, he says, I swear by myself. Meaning what? Meaning Abraham, if you can bet on anything. This promise that I will bless you and you will be a blessing to every nation on the face of the earth. You can count on it. I swear by myself. This you can count on. The Abrahamic covenant. And it, it, it's, it, this begins the story that weaves throughout the Old and New Testament. The top line blessing God wants to bless. God's a God that wants to bless us. And in turn, I have a heart for all nations that you might be a blessing for all nations. Do we see it anywhere else in Scripture? Well, let's look. The promised land we know is flowing with milk and honey. Right? God says, I, I, you are my people. I'm going to give you this prime land in the, in, the, in the middle of a territory, and it's going to be flowing with milk and honey. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people, and you're going to settle here, and we're going to have a relationship as my people. That's a great blessing, Top-line blessing, but is there a bottom-line responsibility? If you look at a, a map at that time of the promised land, and you look at all the different surrounding countries at that time, the nations around, and notice all the, almost all the trade routes went right through the promised land. So if you look at what we are as, you know, look as today as what Turkey would be and you want to trade with Egypt, you would go right through the promised land. What is now, uh, you know, Iraq as we see it today and you want to trade with Egypt, you would go right through the promised land. 
So so what's happening here is God's chosen people who have a relationship with their God and all these different nations and Gentiles are coming through the promised land and they're entering in and meeting these Jewish people and saying, I'm I'm on a trade route, I'm going to Egypt. Can I see your God so I can bow down to it for luck? (laughs) You know, a Jewish person would say, we, you can't see, you're out of luck. You can't see our God. What do you mean you can't see your God? All the other nations can see their God. Well, we aren't all other nations. Well, what's the name of your God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Our God has many names. He's Jehovah Jireh. Really? Your God provides for you? Yeah, let me tell you how it happened. Do you realize that last year we were in a a season of jubilee, which means we take the year off and we still had plenty of crops to trade. Oh, you're kidding me, that's incredible. Yeah, our our God, one of the names of our God is our righteousness. Really, your God gives you righteousness? Yeah, let me tell you about it. Do you see what's happening? It's no wonder that um, we, we see in Ezekiel 5 verse 5, This is what the sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem which I have set at the center of the nations with countries all around her. Bottom line responsibility. Is it a land flowing with milk and honey? Oh, yes, it was. Was it fertile? Yes, it was. But it was very strategically located that they might influence and bless all the nations around. Do we see it anywhere else? Maybe you can help me by finishing this verse. It's found in uh, Psalm 46.10. Be still. A little louder, confidently. Be still. Good. That's the first part of the verse. So that would be Psalm 46, 10a. Isn't it interesting that we grow up, I grew up learning how God wants to bless me and here's a Bible that says all the promises for you. But how many times do we keep reading or memorizing or familiarize ourselves with what is next? Here's what the full verse reads. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. When I was growing up, the pastor at the end of the service would usually give a benediction like most churches. And the pastor, when he would give a benediction, many times he would uh, read or um, maybe had memorized um, Psalm 67. He would say, may God be gracious to us. May God bless us and make his face shine upon us. Amen. That was great. You know, I, I wanted God to bless me. I wanted God to have mercy on me. I wanted God to be gracious to me and have his face shine on me. But why? I, I never heard the second verse. I never looked into or read the second verse. Why did God want to do all these things? The second verse says this. 
that your ways be known on earth, that your salvation be known among the nations. Why did God want to bless us? Why did he want to make his face shine upon us? Why did he want to be gracious to us? Not that we could just have great, comfortable, secure lives and live in comfort and, and have a, a nice lifestyle where we know God and we can be blessed by God. That's, that's, not in, that's not inaccurate, but it's just not the complete story. No, he's given us all that that we might go short-term on trips. He's given us that that we might, some of us, go long-term on trips to the nations. That we might finance those who are going on mission trips. That we might pray for the nations. That we might interact and get to know internationals that God brings to our neighborhood. We've been blessed to be a blessing. There's a responsibility. Just listen, this is just a few of the verses from the Old Testament. This isn't even the New Testament. This is the Old Testament and just a few of many verses that talk about God's heart for the nations. First Chronicles 16, sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. That's the great commission right there in the Old Testament. Psalm 67, may your ways be known on earth. Your salvation among the nations. Psalm 72, all kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. 2 Kings 19, so that all kingdoms on earth may know you. Isaiah 61, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. Daniel 7, men of every language worshiped him. Haggai 2, the desire of all nations will come and fill the house with glory. Malachi 1, verse 11, my name will be great among the nations. The Old Testament is full of God's heart for the nations. That he would use those who know him and been blessed to know him that we might reach out to the nations. What about the New Testament? You know, New, New Testament, we have Jesus. Did, do, do you think Jesus understood the Abrahamic covenant as being a foundational point of God's heart of reaching out to the nations? Or was it like, you know, Jesus comes, he grabs his disciples and says, hey guys, you know why it's called the Old Testament? Because it's old. It's outdated. I'm, I'm, I'm here to give you some new insight, some new inspiration, and... Do you think that was what it was? Or do you think Jesus understood that the foundational of, of, of the heart of God, his father, is to, it's starting in Genesis 12, has always been to reach out to all the nations. And I think one of the answers we can find in Luke 24, 
Luke 24, verse 45 says this. This is the context. Jesus has lived his life so far on earth. He's suffered, he's died, he's defeated death. He's been risen from the grave, and now he's hanging out with his disciples before he goes back to the Father, and he's in teaching mode. And in verse 45, he's, he's reviewing the scriptures. It says, then he, he meaning Jesus, then Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. So here is Jesus. He's been resurrected. He's about to go back to the Father and he's teaching. He's, he's breaking down the scriptures. Let me review the scriptures to you in some basic elements. How many elements do you think Jesus needs in order to do justice to all of the scriptures? 52 different points, 35, 20. No, he has two different basic And if Jesus can break down all of scriptures into two themes, we probably should be familiar with those themes. What are they? We see them in verses 46 to 48. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Witnesses of what things? Witnesses of everything that Christ has done. And when is the fact that he had just broken down scriptures into two main themes that he would suffer and die and on the third day be risen again, talking about that top line blessing that we might have a relationship with God, that we might be forgiven of our sins which talks about power over sin of death and forgiveness of sins, a relationship we have with God, top line, and then turns around and says, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached where? To all nations. There's a bottom line responsibility. We see it over and over again. He wants to bless, and he wants us to be a blessing. Remember an expert of the law came to Jesus and Jesus asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He's looking for two answers. Jesus gives him, or he's looking for one answer. Jesus gives him two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Referring to top line blessing. You have a relationship with God. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a bottom line responsibility. The Ten Commandments, the first four deal with our relationship with God. We've been blessed to have this relationship with God who loves us and pours us, he wants us to be his people. He brought us out of slavery that we might know him, a living God, and the next six deal with our relationship with those around us and the world around us. God wanting to bless you, God wanting to bless me, that we turn around and be a blessing to all the nations. Almost out of time, but I would, we, we need to hit the conclusion, right? So the conclusion we can find in Revelation 5 verse 9 
And in Revelation 5, verse 9, we have a song that's being sung. And the song that's being sung is by the elders and the living creatures. And if the elders in heaven are singing a song, it's probably a pretty important song, and we should take note of it. And here's the song that is sung. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God men from just about every tribe. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say just about. Sometimes it's important to see what Scripture doesn't say so we see the importance of what it does say. It says, with your blood, you purchased for God Men from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Which is amazing because what that means is that promise that he gave to Abraham in Genesis 12, he pulls off, there's a fulfillment in Revelation 5, verse 9. All people. You can't take missions out of the Bible. Missions isn't just part of our Christian life, part of the Bible, just one aspect of the church. No, we, it is the church. It's the mission of God, his heart for all people. It's an amazing thing. It's so significant. Last verse, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 14, he's talking about future things and he says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. See, when I was growing up and I gave my heart to the Lord and I started taking my relationship with Christ seriously, I just thought, you know, I go to church Try to do good things, try not to do very many bad things, and I just kind of enjoy what's, what's happening, and I just kind of sit back and wait for Jesus to come back. I had no idea that I had a responsibility, that I had a job to do, that Jesus said, I am not coming back until all tongues, tribes, peoples, Anyone that calls us, us, and them, them, until they all have an opportunity to hear the gospel. We have a responsibility. Because think about it. Even if there's all the people groups on the face of the earth are reached except for three. And Jesus thinks, you know what? You guys have been waiting long enough. A lot of people are praying for me to come back. It's just three. I'm going to come back now. He would never do that. Because if he did, he would be breaking a promise that he made to Abraham that all peoples would be reached. And God will never be called a liar for all of eternity. And so he will wait until all have a chance to hear, receive, and worship our God. So the question comes, what are you doing to help that responsibility to happen? 
We have missions week, and that's nice that the church, but what are you doing? I mean, you're part of that, but individually, there's things that you're doing to be a blessing so all nations would hear. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide our church. You would guide individuals, you would guide families, you would guide couples, people who are single, of what their responsibility is for your heart, of what you've always wanted, that all people would know who you are. Because it's through the power of your spirit that you will guide and lead. And that's what we want. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be lifted up. We want you to be known. Help us be part of making that happen. In Jesus' name, amen.